Well, I hope you all had a great Independence Day. And uh, if you had a little extra time off, maybe you got some rest. And then we are continuing talking about our arc of Christian character. I wanted to start, I have a, a, just a short video. This is uh, climbing a 1500 foot antenna to change the light bulb. We're going to go ahead and play that and then we'll see how it applies. That's my favorite right at the end when he takes a selfie. I, every time I see that, I go, wait a minute. What happens if he drops the phone? Uh, so I checked. Terminal velocity on a cell phone is approximately 60 miles per hour. So you can imagine what happens to the cell phone. Uh, he gets paid up to $20,000 to do that takes approximately two and a half hours to climb the tower, change the bulb an hour and a half to climb back down. But why does he do it? I, I sped it up when you watch it, the bigger the screen, the more real it is Uh, when it's a little slower the, the effect builds. I sped it up for time, but uh, I've shown this before and I tell people, look, if you get a little dizzy, just close your eyes. You're not really up in the air. Why would he do that? Here, here's the thing. If a cell phone's terminal velocity is 60 miles per hour, do you know what a human being's terminal velocity is? 120 miles per hour. But it takes approximately 1,880 feet to reach that speed. So, look, it's only 1,500 feet, but you would be moving really quick. Why do it? Uh, About four hours of work, $20,000. That it demonstrates something that's really important for us to get. That if you can stick with it, is it hard to climb? I actually, I read the guy who does this, one of the the, the guys, he said, look, yes, there's a little bit of physical uh, labor, right? You have to climb for two and a half hours. That's work. But if you're in pretty good shape, if you're willing to do it, you can do it too. Question. Show of hands. Who could do it? All right, a few of you. Uh, show of hands, who could definitely not do it? Okay, so 
there's several people that didn't raise their hand. And and that's the way it should be because they're like, I don't know, maybe I might be able to do it. I I keep hearing $20,000. Like, where do I apply for that job? Really, I just need to do it once, right? And then that's a down payment on a house or a car or something. Maybe. If you stick with it, if you are willing, you can get to the payday, right? That's the point. That it might be hard, it might be scary, but it will be worthwhile. This isn't really about climbing a tower. Although when I was a kid, I would climb everything. I always get, got in trouble for that. Knock it off. The tallest tree I could find is what I climbed. I don't know about the tower, I'll be honest. I kind of go back and forth on it. How does that fit in with what we're talking about? Our, our arc of Christian character, what, what does it mean? Well, there is a point at which it's not just, I just have to get from A to B. It's the process of getting through all of the steps. It's a journey. And so we're going to add today, I'm going to read that passage again in Second Peter, but we're going to add today steadfastness. Let's read Second uh, Peter, excuse me, chapter one, starting in verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Remember, that was that uh, moral strength we talked about the first week. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, right? That was last week. And then today we're adding in self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we're, we're now adding to it that idea that if you stick with it, if you do it, you can reach that payday. It, what's the payday? He says, if these qualities are yours in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. And that's our goal is to be fruitful and not ineffective. So how to add steadfastness to your faith? First of all, what is steadfastness? That's not a word we use often. In fact, I don't believe I have ever used steadfastness except just like this, reading scripture, teaching Bible study, and speaking about a passage like this. It's not a common word that we use. The Oxford Dictionary defines steadfastness as the quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. That's steadfastness. Depending on the translation you're reading, it might be endurance, perseverance, or patience. So you'll often hear instead of steadfastness, you'll hear patient endurance, right? It's, it's patient waiting for what comes next, endurance that you have to endure, you have to uh, withstand something. When uh, the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he told them, that since they were free in Christ, 
they should stand firm, right? Very similar to steadfastness, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, <coughs> excuse me, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And so there's this idea that you have to stand firm and endure that uh, temptation and oppression to the slavery of sin. They should endure. Our freedom is worth it. I'm not an expert in economics, but I do understand that as soon as we start talking about whether things are worth it or value uh, between our freedom and sin, there's an economy involved. When you choose one thing, there's a cost involved in the things that you don't choose or don't get to do. This is called the opportunity cost. And you need to understand that, that when you choose to follow Christ, the freedom that it gives you and the promise of ever uh, eternal life is always worth it, right? So in the economy of faith, trusting Jesus is worth it and, and enduring, yet it's not always easy. In fact, scripture's really clear that it won't be easy at times, that there will be times of difficulty. There will be, there will be opposition to you. And so we'll start off with, well, choose patient endurance instead of instant gratification, right? How are you going to add steadfastness? You're going to choose patient endurance. It's something you have to choose. It, it doesn't happen by accident. This is the opposite of the cultural paradigm that says, now is the time. This is the kind of endurance that causes you maybe to, to stick at a job. Five years, 20 years, right? People that, that work hard at something for a long time, I'm, I'm always encouraged by that. I, I love in uh, April at, uh, at the university I teach at when they talk about people that are retiring and they, they're retiring after 20 or 30 or more years. That's really cool, right? Because they stuck with it. They, they endured and I think it's a good place to work. I'm not saying that. It wasn't like they stuck with a horrible job. They, they had a, a, a good job, but, but they stuck with it. We, um, we had one of my colleagues, he didn't retire, but he was recognized for 35 years teaching chemistry. And uh, so he's the, the, the number two longstanding professor at the university. And when he got announced, we all stood up. He got a standing ovation for that, and, and rightly so, because he's put a lot of his life into that. That's why we talk about patient endurance. We endure, we stick with it, and that's something to be applauded. And so we do that with our faith, right? We have to endure even when things might be challenging. Uh in Colossians chapter one, starting verse 21, and you who were once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you to his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, right? So it's this presentation 
It's like this idea that Jesus presents us to, to the father. He says, blameless and above reproach, if you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, not shifting away from it, right? Enduring, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister, right? That you stick with it, that you go, this, this is true and right and just. And, and even when things might get difficult, it, you realize it's, it's one of those challenges I've always had as a pastor that, that when, uh, when some people struggle in their personal life, maybe it's a, a work struggle, a family challenge, a relationship challenge, maybe it's a health issue. Some people, they rally around and then some people pull back. And it's always disconcerting to me as a pastor because my my calling is to step in and try and help, but they're, they're pulling back. And so if you're going to patiently endure, you want to make sure you don't pull back. You push in to the church with other believers. Uh, I was uh, knocking on doors in the neighborhood around the church one day, and I was with a, a group of college students, and uh, I heard some yelling. And I didn't know what was going on. And so I kind of went over there and, and it was my college students getting yelled at by this man. And I said, sir, can I help you? What's, what's going on? And he just went off on these poor young college students. And here's what happened and why he was so upset. He said his wife was faithful to a church and she loved the Lord. And then she got sick. And she died and he felt the church wasn't there. And so I, I, I did the best I could in that moment. And I, I said, well, was, were they there to help you with, with food? Well, yeah, they provided food and, and that. And I said, well, that they, so they tried to be the church, but, but you pulled back. And, and we kind of resolved a little bit to understand the situation he was mad at the church because he had pulled back from the church. Well, that happens. When things are really tough, I know it can be awkward to ask for help, to admit things are hard right now, but it is the thing to do. It's why God gave us the church, that we might push in, support one another, encourage one another. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. That happens. Some people pull back and they stop meeting together and they, they, they don't push into the church. They, they don't rely on other believers. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Encourage one another, push in to the church. That's how you add steadfastness to your faith. When things get tough, don't pull back, push in. Christians have a very real enemy. 
right? It, it's not just that things are hard, but scripture says we have a real enemy. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He says, look, there is a very real enemy that wants you to suffer. How do you endure that? What do you do about it? Peter gave some specifics on steadfastness, right? How do you resist the devil? He says, be sober-minded and watchful. Well, sober-minded, again, it's not a phrase that we use in this context often, but all it means to be sober-minded is to be in your right mind, right? It doesn't just mean don't drink too much. It means to be in your right mind. Don't be confused. Don't be distracted. Don't be brainwashed. (laughs) Be on guard. Make sure that what you're reading is true, that the news you're getting is correct, that you're not listening to gossip, that you're not getting discouraged, that you're, when you're hang, hang, hanging around with people that, that are just constantly pulling you down and leading you astray, you're on guard and you avoid them, right? You need to be prepared. How do you add steadfastness to your faith? He says, know that there are others that are enduring the same kind of struggles that you have. One of the the greatest lies that we believe is that we're in this by ourselves and no one else has endured what we're enduring. It's just not true. In fact, there are believers around you dealing with the same struggles you're dealing with. I guarantee it. And the way you'll know it and the way you could support each other and to get supported is to push in to the church, to push in with other believers and to support one another. How do you add godliness to your faith, right? And in our arc of Christian character, we add godliness to steadfastness. Godliness, that that seems obvious, isn't it? But what is godliness? It's the practice of conforming to God's expectations. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he contrasted godliness with the actions of false teachers. It's kind of helpful to see what the, the false teachers were doing to get a picture of that. So 1 Timothy 6, the the second part of verse 2, he says to Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching that are in accords with godliness, 
He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depra- uh, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We could not take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. If contentment is a part of the equation for godliness, that must mean that discontentment is part of the problem. So we see this picture. We see this picture of what the false teachers were doing and it's the opposite of godliness. And so we kind of get a picture of what ought to be a part of our lives. First of all, godliness requires humility. It requires humility. Well, he said, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the words, the sound words of our Lord and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit. Well, the opposite of that is humility. That if you're going to add godliness to your life, humility must be part of it. You don't know better than the Bible. You're to do what you know you're supposed to do. It's why last week we talked about how important it was, maybe that was two weeks ago, how important it was to study the Bible, to read it and to study it and to memorize it, make it a part of your life when you're adding knowledge to your faith. And so godliness requires humility because there's a tendency to go, well, you know, I kind of got this figured out. Kind of amazing as I was a, the younger I was, the more I thought I knew, and the older I got, the more I knew I didn't know. I need to know more. And then godliness requires getting along with others, not craving controversy or quarrels or constant friction. Do you know there are people that do that, that are craving controversy and quarrels and constant friction? It sounds bizarre to me, but it's a thing. It would take you about three seconds on any social media uh, discussion to see that there are people that are craving controversy and constant friction. But that seems to be the opposite of godliness here, right? It, godliness, we're, we're not wanting that. And so since the opposite of godliness, the way uh, Paul talks about it is in opposition to the false teachers, then we need to be careful about false godliness, It's dangerous to get, to try to get by on fake or false godliness. Kind of putting on a front to to make it look like you are holier 
than you are. It's why one of our heart attitudes is to live an open and honest life together. I want to look at a dangerous situation of false godliness. This is in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 13. I go back to this passage so often. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see, there is power in the name of Jesus. Even Paul, he's like, I recognize that. But who are you? That's that trying to get by on on fake, false godliness. It is dangerous to try to get by on someone else's godliness. This is a danger for many who believe, well, I went to church, so I must be good. Or they grew up in a Christian home. Isn't that fine? I was baptized when I was little. That counts for something, right? So I'm in, right? It's like getting a ticket to the show and showing up at the door without it. My grandma's got my ticket. That's good, right? And they go, no, if you don't have your ticket in hand, you're not getting in. You have to have it yourself. It has to be yours. It can't be someone else's. I know we don't have tickets anymore. You at least show your phone, right? You have to have it for yourself. That's what matters. So how do you get it? Well, this, this process this of this Christian uh, character arc development starts with the gospel. It starts with the good news about Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. And that everyone is in need of God's grace. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus died, pay for your sins, you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And so we tend to make it really complicated. It's why we get mixed up and say things like, well, I kind of walked an aisle and I said a prayer. I think that's it. That's showing up without the right ticket. That's showing up on the day of judgment. Scripture says where where, uh, God is separating the sheep from the goats. And that he will say to those on his left, depart from me for I never knew you. And they're like, whoa, hold on. 
didn't we like feed people in your name? And, and we, we worshiped, we went to church and we did that, that camp thing and, and, and we prayed some prayers and all that. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Well, the really good news is the same thing happens on the other side. It's not just because you know him, it's that he knows you. And so we believe and we trust that God sent his son to die, that we trust him as Lord and Savior. And we're not, we're not trying to say, well, you know, it's what my mom believes, my roommate believes, my, my grandma believes, it's, it's what I believe. It's what God did for me. It's the relationship I have with him. <laughs> That's the ticket. I have some next steps for you today. First of all, my next step today is to choose to patiently endure as the Lord works in my life. There's going to be some challenges. You can endure that. You can step up. I can, I can deal with this. There was no promise it was going to be easy. There, there is going to be opposition to you growing in your faith. There will be opposition from people that aren't believers. There will be opposition from people that are believers that think you're just being a little too holy. They won't say that. That wouldn't be the right thing to say, but, but you'll know when it happens. You're like, you know, I'm choosing not to participate in that. I really want to spend more time in God's word. Uh, since we were talking about scripture memory, Last week, I added uh, a next step that uh, you might memorize, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Right? That's how you endure. You don't grow weary of doing what is right. You stick with it. You endure. And then, uh, since the false teachers, those who have a false sense of godliness are about craving controversy, quarrels, and constant friction. Well, if we're going to add godliness to our faith, we're going to choose to work at being peacemakers, right? Not adding to the challenge, adding to the controversy, adding to the constant friction, but, but being a peacemaker, helping people get along, bringing peace where we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a trustworthy God, that we can endure patiently with steadfastness because you're worthy. You're honest, you're holy and good. And you desire what is good for us. That you're, as your word says, working all things for good. For those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And because of that, we can trust you. So Father, my, my prayer for each one here. That we gain an understanding of what it means to be steadfast in our faith, 
and we endure. That we support one another. When our brothers and sisters are struggling, we come alongside and put an arm around their shoulders and say, I'm here for you. I know this is hard, but we're doing this together. And it might be awkward at times to say, here's how I'm struggling. But we can do that. Father, that we would be godly in our uh, desire of being peacemakers and not rabble-rousers. Father, that we would uh, understand our faith is to be our own and not someone else's. Father, we thank you that you are at work to this very day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.